there, folks. My name is Emily. My name is Elt. And you are listening to Oh My Word, a podcast where Elt and I discuss movies, musicals, books, and TV shows from the safety of our underground bunker, and we tell you about the content so that you can make more informed decisions about what you are consuming or what you're allowing your children to consume. Media-wise, not food-wise. I mean, you should also like think about what food you and your kids are eating, but we're not doing a food podcast. Though, should we do a food podcast? You know what? We can table that discussion for later. Exactly. <laughs> Especially when it comes to sharing our recipes of different meals you can make at basement. But anyways, to assist with that, we have our Pearl Clutching Scale, Violence, Language, and Romance, scale of 0 to 4, 0 being very good because there is 0, and 4 being very not good because there is 4 too much. Yes, and then we're crushing all our pearls, and pearls are precious. Why would you want to clutch them, right? You exactly. want to unclutch. You want your pearls to be beautifully dispa- displayed on your decolletage, right? Isn't uh, that what they called it? Like, yeah, like- yeah, but no. <laughs> oh. Yes. But, and then every once in a while, we come up across something that totally explodes our pearls into smithereens. Right. Then we have to go buy new ones, and we have to harvest them, and we have to actually get out of the bunker and go to the sea, and it's a... Uh, we don't like doing it, people. Yeah. We don't like it. Exactly. Just do it for the pearls. Seriously. Just for the pearls. Right. You know, I use the word decolletage because, first of all, I've never actually used it speaking, and I've never actually written it either. I've only ever read it, so I really hope that I'm pronouncing it properly. <laughs> but I think it's very appropriate for the book-slash-movie that we are going to discuss today, because talking about one's décolletage, which for those of you who don't know, it's the area that a woman could... What's the word I'm looking for? Like between the collarbone and the chest area that a woman could still demurely present. You know, it's that area that's appropriate to be seen, but it's just like a little hint of danger and risque-ness. I mean, for today, it wouldn't even like enter into the realm of risque, but for the era we're talking about, it certainly would. Because we today are talking about Gone with the Wind, which is a novel and a movie set during the Civil War. And if you don't know about Gone with the Wind, there, you must be living in the middle of the earth. Because I can't picture a rock big enough to be living underneath that you won't have heard of Gone with the Wind. I, both because the movie was huge, the book was huge, and because in recent years there's been controversy about it. And it's, I mean, some people call it the great American novel right next to Huckleberry Finn. So to not have heard about it is a shame and disappointing and suspect. There are probably people, enough people who haven't read or watched it, because it is a long book, and the film is like four million years long. And <laughs> yes. It's a, so it is a commitment. It's, it's a good film. Very, it's, it's very good, and the book is obviously very good. There's also a big misconception that, because when Hollywood made it, they focused much more on like the love aspect of it, even though it's four, mm. it's four hours, so it's not only <laughs> that, but it seems like the love story plays a bigger role in it than it actually did in the novel, insofar as, oh... I don't know if you totally finished before I just butted in, but... No, go for it. <laughs> the author is Margaret Mitchell, okay? She came out with it in, what is it, 1936? And, mm-hmm. Oh, by 1939, they made it to a film already. Wow, how did they make a 400 million hour movie in only three years? 
But um, she, I once, I think the copy that I had had like a note from the author on the back or not a note, but it was just like a little bit about the author in the back. And from what I saw, from what I remember, she says to her, the book is about like gumption because it's about the Civil War, but it's also about the Reconstruction era that followed the Civil War. And a right. lot of people, especially from the South, they, they couldn't get used to the new way of life. As in, you know, now the plantations are gone. You don't have slaves to just do whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't even necessarily a commentary on slavery. It was just, so some people are like, oh, there's all these terrible things that occur in it. And it, she's not promoting anything. She just, this is the era. And if you're growing up in 1936, the Civil War is very fresh for you. It's like people today with World War II, that's kind of the time span. It's not probably even less uh, because she wrote it in 1936. So that means she grew up, you know, she was already an adult by then. So right. you're talking about, you know, it's a 19, uh, you're talking about the uh, 1860s. And she um, was writing it in the 20s, actually. She started right. in 1928. Right. She would have grown up, her grandparents or whomever would have been part of the generation that fought in the Civil War and who knew that. Right. And all the scars of it would still have been very fresh. And the and the outcomes of it, because, you know, we all know that it was, it, it, just because there was Reconstruction, some policies were good, some were not. And then there were a lot of, you know, things. It, it, it wasn't an overnight change just because all of a sudden everybody's free. So right. the point is, though, for from what I saw from that note, for her, it was about that there are some people, and we have that. We have that by the uh, the Ashley character is considered someone who was part of the old era, right? And we have Scarlett O'Hara is considered someone with, with gumption. Like, she's always going to do whatever she has to do to survive, which is part of what makes her kind of like an unlikable character at times because you just want to smack her for being so selfish. But <laughs> she's, she's very much like that, where it's like, even though she is used to being pampered and she wants to be pampered and she wants all this stuff, but she will do whatever it takes to keep going. Right, so that's just kind of like an interesting thing about that. And it kind of changes your, when you know that, it changes the angle that you could approach the story from to like realize what the story that's being told is. And also, if you've ever seen Robin Hood, Man and Tice, as a character, his name is Will Scarlet O'Hara. <laughs> oh, okay, so anyway, getting back to the actual book, the ratings for it, we have violence is a 2.5, language is a 2, romance is a 2. Just to, violence is a 2.5 because it takes place during wartime. So that's where most of the violence is centered around. You also have, she ends up, um, Scholar ends up in Atlanta during um, Sherman's March where the whole thing's going to be burnt. The whole thing is burned down. Um, they take in some injured soldiers, I think also on the planta um, her plantation. There's, there's a lot of violence and most of it is war violence. There's other things also because you have the death, um, the girl gets thrown from the horse, and um, well, her child. So there's a lot of other really not good things. She, when she kind of gets hit and she falls down the steps, no, she's kind of chasing after her, would you call? Whatever, she loses her baby. A lot of sad stuff. But, so there is that also. Um, language is a two just because um, you have words. Some of it was appropriate for the time, but words that we don't necessarily say today. Like if you got the N-word or um, damn whore. Okay, whatever. Anyways, and then romance is a two. Also, Scarlet is like married to everybody. <laughs> just for the record. Like... Scarlett is like literally like we see her that she's like the belle of the South and like everybody there's something about Scarlett that everybody wants Scarlett you know and then the first person she marries she kind of does it not because she even like necessarily likes him like it, that scene is kind of hazy in that it's just like okay I'll take you and then she's like hoping to like she's like barely married to him. make someone else jealous I mean she's also 17 yeah. when that happens we have to remember like yeah. she's she's it's impulsive She's really flighty yeah. and impulsive. Yeah. yeah, and then he ends up dying. The, he's this old. He gets goes to war and he dies, which is almost a relief to her. She's like, I think I'm supposed to feel sad, but I don't know if I feel sad about like. I mean, it's not in those exact words, but we can see there's not a lot of mourning coming from Scarlet when he dies. Except, 
she has to technically be in mourning right. in, for at least three years, which is so interesting to me. You know, people talk about, like, it's the, the book's about the Civil War and about, you know, about race and reconstruction and all those things. But it's also really about, like, what women experienced then because... So she gets married. He dies four months later. Right. She has to be in mourning for at least three years. And in mourning means, like, all black. You know, she can't go to parties. She can't go out to things. And even after that, it's sort of looked upon poorly if she remarries. Like, ever. Like, she's sort of kind of expected to never remarry in her whole life. If she does, after a certain amount of time, it's fine but really, people would just rather she be sad her whole life. That seems a little exaggerated. I wonder how true that part is. Because I know people, like, a year of mourning, that's, like, a thing that you, that you hear and right. see a lot. I think the three years of mourning was the first time I ever saw that. And also, the getting married again, I could see that she would always have the stigma of being, oh, she's a widow, until she does remarry. But why would they not want her to marry again if women were, you were supposed to have a man take care of you sort of thing? So I wonder, yeah, like, but you were also yeah. supposed to be like, you know, man's wife always, you know, and you should be like so sad that how could you possibly? It could be overdrawn, but I will say that Margaret Mitchell did. First of all, she did extensive research into the time, right? And she also based so much of it off of stories from her grandparents and aunts and uncles and other people that she grew up with. So it could be an exaggeration, but I wouldn't be surprised if in this very specific southern world where women were supposed to be like lily white flowers that never did anything and never had a thought in their head that this was actually real life yeah 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 and then and then she marries the other she marries a lot well okay but three times it's three times before she marries red or it's red is the third red's the third right and but he she's she's met him before that though but it's still like yeah it's like he kind of like realizes right away what kind of girl she is as in, like, he recognizes that she's this, like, morally ambiguous, kind of self-centered character. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't care. He just wants to, like, be able to spoil her. And he kind of, like, recognizes it. He's not a great... He's also kind of morally ambiguous kind of character. He's supposed to be, like, dashing and, like, all that sort of stuff. But he's not exactly known as being, like, this upstart, uh, you know, an upstanding moral person. Here, no. Which is sort of where you can see how they, like, get along with each other. And that's also part of Scarlet's mistake. Is that because she's so stuck on this idealistic Ashley character... And she doesn't realize that, like, Red, like, gets her. And, like, Ashley does right. not get Scarlet. So she also only realizes that too late, and that's where we have the famous line comes in. But, which they, they tweaked a little bit for Hollywood, but anyways. That's also, like, part of the whole thing of, like, she's creating these, like, sort of morally ambiguous characters and, like, these, uh, you know, social climber kind of characters and these, char- like, new money kind of characters and just people who do anything to survive kind of characters. Which also, if you think about it, in the 1930s, like, those are not usual protagonists. Right. As far as characters go. Those are usually, they can be side characters, but that's not usually a protagonist. Usually the protagonist is just, is so good and so moral and, you know, teaches everybody to be so good and moral also. You know, very clear good and evil. And Scarlet is just not. She's, she's actually, she's, she gets pretty unlikable, especially when, um, what is it? There's like one guy who... She, she sort of takes him from her sister or something like that. And it's yeah. also, it's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. She's, usually I don't like unlikable characters. Like on TV shows today, a lot of characters are really unlikable and they're just bad people. 
But maybe the problem is like with some TV shows, they don't really give them a reason. Or like when the villain is the protagonist. I don't like when villains are protagonists. But Scarlet is, she's nuanced. Like the she herself is not nuanced, but the character is nuanced. And also right. it's, she is meant to show us what it was to live then, to have your whole way of life upended, to be a woman having your life upended, to go from one way of life to something else, to being the belle of the ball, to being poor and ravaged and hated. And she's just the, she's like the avenue to get us there. Like Margaret Mitchell said that Melanie, who's Ashley's wife, was in her mind the actual heroine of the story because she's a good person. She's a kind person. She faces adversity and doesn't compromise on her morality, whereas Scarlet does compromise, but Scarlet is maybe a little bit more the truth, right? That people do compromise, that, or that none of us know what we would do if we were put in the circumstance of, you know, I can steal my husband's, or my, my sister's boyfriend and keep this land and make sure everyone has food or not steal him and then everyone will go hungry and live in poverty and possibly die. So, you know, and, and all of these like moral choices that she's faced with that from her perspective, it's always, I never want to go hungry again. I never want to be poor again. So whatever I can do to make that not happen. And she also cares for her whole family, right? She is the breadwinner. I mean, she's actually really forward thinking, right? She opens a business, which is another thing that like women were not supposed to do, right? She works on her own. So all these things that she does, but like she has that singular goal in mind. I will never go hungry again. Right. So what will I do to make sure that happens? Right. Well, it's also, um, I never got the impression that, that Scarlet is specifically smart. As in like, because you see that mm -hmm. a lot now when they're trying to create these female characters that are also geniuses. I don't get the impression she's specifically smart. I just, that she's like, what's the word they'll use? Like a scrappy fighter, you know? Yes. That's kind of yeah, like yeah. the, that's kind of what Scarlet is. Like she's the scrappy fighter. Um, she may not be, you know, the biggest, the strongest, you know, the most strategic, but she will win however she will figure out how to win. Absolutely. That's kind of, yeah, that's even like at the end when she's like, oh, tomorrow's another day. I'm just, I'll go back to Tara and, and you know, to, to go back to Plantation and reset after, you know, spoiler, Rhett leaves her and all that sort of stuff. There's a part of you, I think there's a part of a lot of people that are like, oh, she's totally going to get him back. Even though realistically, like, who knows, Rhett's as heart, headstrong as Scarlet is. Right. You know, he's not going to be so easily won back. They did have... A, a while ago, they came out with, um, I think it's called Rhett's People. It was approved of by the estate, and it was supposed to be a sequel to Gone with the Wind. And it comes back to Rhett Butler. It kind of focuses on him a little bit more. And you could see how it's... A movie or a book? It's a book. And you could see how it's... Okay. I don't remember all of it, but I do remember there's sort of like a fan fiction aspect to it, I guess you could say, because they figured out how to bring them back together again. Mm. So you could see, like, I guess some of them... And again, it's, it was officially, I think it was approved by the state or something like that. But you could see how, even if we don't like Scarlet or we don't like Red or we don't whatever, like, because they're suited for each other, you almost want it to, like, it's fine if they end up with each other again, even though they're, they're great characters, both of them. Even like, though you kind of sympathize, I think you could sympathize a little bit more with Red, only because you do get the impression that he loves his children and wants to spoil his children, and you don't necessarily get that impression from Scarlet. No. There's not... She doesn't have a motherly nature. Not you don't get the impression all. like, oh, I only have the kids because he wants them, or because this is what happened. <laughs> you know, I fell pregnant, you know? You don't get the impression that she actually... 
Look, once everything happens, like, maybe they'll... I don't know if she'll ever change. Like, once she also realizes that, like, I was chasing this Ashley character and it was just a dream that I was chasing. You know, theoretically, she could figure out a way to get Red back. But I don't know. I don't know that she's... It's it's interesting that, like, the more I think about this now, like, she's not a 1930s feminine, like, protagonist character. Like, it's... She's very unusual for that. Yeah. And that's also part of what makes her, like, that you don't like her, that you feel like it's unnatural that she won't love her own children, like, in the way that you expect a mother to. Right. I mean, for her, really, she does have kids and she doesn't have any way of not having kids if she doesn't want them. Like for her, she's always looked at, okay, when I get married, I'm just going to be pushing out kids after certain. I mean, they do. Someone does mention birth control. So there were, you know, there were always like. There's always, there were always ways. There were always ways, but it was not the thing to do. You know, that was like a very behind the scenes type thing. So, I mean, in a way, she's, you know, a very, very feminist in that sense, right? Like original feminist, like she starts a business. She's she's willing to play her part, like to get men to give her what she wants, but she doesn't really like the girls who are all like silly and frilly, even though you're right, she's not very smart, but she's like intuitive. She's scrappy. She figures things out. She's manipulative. She's definitely manipulative. Yeah. She's, not a, she's not a role model no, by yeah. any stretch of the imagination, but she's just a, again, I think just a, like representation of when you're living in hard times, what you might do. Like um, Margaret Mitchell even sets it up. Like there's the older generation and she talks about some of the older women and men who were living in Atlanta at the time of the setting of the book, not when she wrote the book, but like in the 1860s, but they were originally like pioneers, you know, so how they had all worked, you know, they had farmed and they had helped to build things. And then, their kids knew easy times. So then all of a sudden there's this whole era of gentility because they didn't have to work and they had slaves and everything was about, you know, just relaxing in the sun. But actually the older generation had been there and now it's this next generation going through the same thing of hard times and scrapping and working and then how they're looking ahead and realizing their own grandchildren would not appreciate the hard work that they'd done. Or the, because they were just used to a life of luxury. So it's sort of a, a cyclical thing. Right. Well, like today, you have a lot of people, if they're children of immigrants who became successful and things like that, they don't understand. Well, they might know, they might not know, or they just don't want to hear the stories anymore about, you know, I had to rebuild and whatever. But, okay, so there's one scene that we have to talk about, and especially because of the way that they did in the film. Okay. Which is pretty exact. So there's this one scene where, you know, Scarlet and Rhett, they're always fighting. You know, they had basically like a love-hate relationship. Mm-hmm. There's one scene where Rhett basically like throws Scarlet over his shoulder and takes her upstairs to the bedroom. And then it cuts to black. Okay, now, there's some people who are like, oh, date rape, whatever. It's a terrible thing. And then there are some people who are just like, oh, you know. Because now, in the film, we see the throwing over the shoulder, right? They go upstairs, blacks out. And the next scene we see is Scarlet sitting in bed and she's like singing to herself and she's all happy and everything like that. We see nothing that happens in between. That's all that we see. And I wish I remember who said it because it's the person who first drew my attention to it because I didn't fully like have words for it when I first saw it and like register. Mm-hmm. But that is, that is subtlety. And that is in so many ways more powerful than if they would have actually shown what happened in mm. between. Because she's like, when you see Scarlett waking up in bed that morning and she's singing to herself, you know exactly what happened. But we didn't see any of it, which is also so much in contrast to today where they have to show you all of it, right? Without just... It's, it's kind of like what we spoke about with, with Shane, 
they have that scene mm. where the where the mother is like to the husband, "Oh, hold me," but we know it's not him that she wants. You know, it's Shane in that moment, which is part of the reason why Shane realizes he's got to move on, he's got to leave. Um, right. So, if it would be a modern film, they would have had there would have been some sort of affair or something going on, right? There would have been a kiss or something, but not because and it's subtlety. She says, "Hold me," that's not you know. So right. here's the same thing. They don't show it. Even in the book, they kind of spell it out, but they don't show it because you don't need to, right? It's almost like we have to go, well, I would like to see us going back to, like, as writers to, it's almost like we got to, like, re-challenge ourselves to write out certain things without having to say it. Right. In, like, a, it's, it's harder that way, almost. And it's also, we don't need it because we know it, so stop showing It's, like, almost like they're hitting you over the head with it these days. Like, we got it. You don't have to be so loud about all of it. We got it. You know? Right, right. Like, trust your audience a little bit that they're intelligent enough to put two and two together, right? Yeah. Well, and also, just they say, oh, this sells, that, you know, violence sells, this sells, blah, blah, whatever. It's like, okay, we're Shawshank Redemption. Nobody takes off their clothes and sleeps with each other. I mean, the wife is having an affair in the beginning. <laughs> but we don't, we don't see it. We don't see the clothes. We don't, we don't see explicit nudity. Right. And people love the Shawshank Redemption, right? Right. Even the Godfather is a nudity scene because it was, it was the 70s, and that's when they started allowing this kind of stuff. But you could take it out, and it's the same... Mm. Like, nobody even remembers that scene. Nobody cares about that scene. Yeah. It's not the scene that people are watching The Godfather for. So, it's this film shows you that exactly. We don't have to see it for it to work and for us to, like, realize what happened and what the effect of what happened are either. Mm. <sighs> That's the soapbox for today. <laughs> well, I'm going to get on one more kind of soapbox because I think we sort of have to talk about it if we're going to talk about Gone with the Wind. Obviously, there's an issue of race, right? Because it's set in the Civil War, so there were slaves, and then the Civil War ends, so they're no longer slaves. But there are plenty of black characters in the story, most notably Mammy, played by Hattie McDonald, by the way, the first black woman for, to win an Oscar, right? She won for Best Actress. So, And that, remember, the movie came out in 1939. It's not like the movie came out later. She, she won it. She couldn't even go to the premiere of the movie. And I think, I don't, if she could go to the Oscars, she definitely could not, like, sit you know, in the main part of the state. She might not have even been able to go to the Oscars, but they still voted for her to win it, which is just an interesting thing to keep in mind. But anyway, so but she's a main character. Um, there are a lot of slaves who stay with both Scarlett's family and then her in-laws' family that are... Not only are they as close as family, they ha yes, they are slaves. I mean, you, you can't deny that fact, but they are the moral compasses of the family. They're also the decision makers for the family. Margaret Mitchell uh, really spells out the difference between a house slave and a plantation slave. And, you know, there was really such an air of superiority about house slaves, which just goes to show that no matter what situation people are in, they're going to separate themselves and like try to find a way to make themselves better. Um, and then when the slaves are freed, there are plenty of free blacks that are roaming around and they are portrayed not, many of them are portrayed not very well. And then a lot of the blacks that stay slaves, to be fair to them, I mean, they, they didn't know what to do, right? It's one thing to have your freedom and everyone should have their freedom to make their own choices. But it's sort of like be turning 18 and being let loose. Like you've been cared for your whole life and suddenly the world is telling you now go figure everything out for yourself. It, it was hard. So I'm actually reading a book right now. It's called The Gone with the Wind Letters. So it's a bunch of letters that Margaret Mitchell wrote right after the book was published and all the way through the making of the movie. So I just started it. So I haven't read yet about her position 
on race. I don't even know if it comes up in the letters. I think if you read anything today, people will say Margaret Mitchell is racist, and I don't know if that's true or if that's just us in 2022 looking back on her. But I will say I think she does a really good job of portraying what Southern life was like, how white people related to black people, how black people related to white people, how black people related to each other, the role of the KKK and like its formation and, and I mean, the way she described it is that it was a, some people thought it was necessary, but if you were in the KKK, most people looked down upon you. So it wasn't like a position of, like you, if you were in it, might've thought like, I'm amazing and I'm doing something good. But most of the people around you who were from the Southern gentility still thought this is not the way to do things. So I think she really does did, I guess, a good job of explaining what living in the South was like without really promoting or disproving of it, right? She lived in the South. She grew up with it. Her family grew up with it. She was just saying, look, this is a thing that happened. People had this way of life, then there was a war, and there was this other way of life. Some people dealt with it this way. Some people dealt with it that way. And even in the 30s, actually, by even by, like, as soon as the Civil War ended, there were already what's the word I'm looking for? Like propaganda and stuff about what the people in the South were like to Blacks. So anything that we think we know about the South has been tainted since at least 1865, if not before. So anything we think we know about how slaves and their masters, like what their relationships were like and how people treated each other, we know. I mean, we you know you can read Frederick Douglass's narrative. It's not like there aren't first person sources. But we also don't know because everything we read has been tainted. And this is fiction. So I'm not saying this is some sort of definitive, you should read this and now you know everything about that time. But she does present people. Basically, she presents people in a hard time and is like, look, this is what it was like. You don't have to agree with it, but this is what people did. And I, I read so in this book that, yes, the Gone with the Wind was very popular in the U.S. and in the South. But it was also really popular in... I don't remember all the countries, but specifically Germany, because Germans were also people that had lost a war and had lost a way of life. Because this, right, this came out before World War II, it's from World War I. The Germans were plenty at fault for World War I, obviously for World War II, but again, there were still real people there, right? There were mothers and wives and children and husbands and all sorts of people who had a life and then sometimes to no fault of their own, right? Not necessarily that they were in the government or soldiers. That way of life was gone. And now the world said, and now you have to live this way. We said so. And so apparently this book really resonates with people who have gone through this change. And like, Scarlett is a woman. She has no choice, right? Things happen to her. The kids have no choice. Most of the people in the book, they have no choice about the things that happen to them. Yeah. Right? Well it makes sense with, with Germany because there's a whole thing about, you know, the Germans saw themselves as Uber mentioned. It wasn't only World War II. There's a reason why Hitler's message resonated. Right. They wanted to see themselves like they were superior, they had great sciences and, and academics. It was big in Germany. And then with World War One, like they were reduced to it was like a it's like the Great Depression, but in Germany, right? Their their currency was worth nothing. They got you know, they got shellacked by uh it wasn't just losing the war, it was just the way that they were treated after the war that it was just sort of like <laughs> Like, look at what you've done. Now you will sit in the corner, you will suffer for it. So it makes sense that 
people who saw themselves as being this, you know, we always thought we were great upstanding people and all of a sudden you've reduced us to, to beggars basically. Yeah. So that happened. You, you take away this whole way of life. It makes sense. It's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. And I, I think it's just a good reminder that yes, slavery was wrong. It was good that the North won the civil war, but there were real people who were affected by it. And it's not so easy maybe to go from your way of life to accepting this new way and, and I'm not talking just about slavery, but just, you know, the whole thing. And especially, again, if you're a woman or a child or an elderly person, someone who's like totally out of it and it's just happening to you, even if you have opinions, it's still happening to you. And I, it, for me, it humanized people and it like allowed me to have a little bit more empathy and sympathy and recognize like just to be more empathetic. And also this book is so good. Like I thought <laughs> it was, it's like 1,037 pages and I got the book and I thought there is no I've read long books before, but I was just like finding myself having to read certain passages over because it's like really small print in mine. And but it's so good, and it's from 1936. And you're like, how is this book just? Uh, and I want to read it again, which is, I will. And it's so long, but it's so good. You know, the the joke is, I think Little Woman also takes place during the Civil War, right? Isn't there a father? Oh, yeah. He's at a, but the war is just it doesn't be, it doesn't really focus on the war. We just know that the dad's off on the war. Right. It more focuses just on the girls growing up or whatever. Yeah, but this one, because it is, the focus is on the before, the, you know, the before, middle, after. That's what the focus is on. And also, you don't have to like it to realize that this, it's a significant value to literature, to history, to everything that it gives. Right. You know, so, yeah. So, somehow we managed to talk about Gone with the Wind, both the movie and the book, and in only a fraction of the time that the movie actually was so incredible congratulations to us yeah Yeah. incredible because really we probably could go on for ages and ages but then we'd have to have an intermission like they did in old (laughs) movies well we could have an intermission till our next episode (laughs) it's a very long intermission that's true (laughs) a week-long intermission you'll be able to get all of the popcorn and snacks and go to the bathroom as many times as you want (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) yes and thank you for taking this journey with us We hope you enjoyed, and we will see you next week. Cheers, people! Oh My Word podcast is brought to you by the pearl-clutching basement dwellers at Oh My Word with theme music by Tim Burton. To keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, please follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a starry, starry, five-star review. For full episode notes and details, please visit eltenabound.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Catch you next time.